Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Obama is illegal Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan. America great. Hello, I'm Drew Sheldrick and this is 2020 Vision. My guest this week was the first black woman to be elected to US Congress for the Republican Party. Mia Love represented Utah's 4th District in the 114th Congress. She was appointed to the House Financial Services Committee and was a rare Republican member of the Congressional Black Caucus. During last year's midterm elections, she drew the ire of President Trump for not showing him enough attention in her re-election campaign. Amidst the so-called blue wave, she missed out on reclaiming her seat by less than one percentage point and has since become an outspoken critic of the president over his comments and interactions with black Americans and other minorities. Let's have a quick listen to Mia's rise to prominence in the Republican Party. The American dream isn't just my story. It isn't just your story. It's our story. It's a story of human struggle, standing up and striving for more. Our story has been told for over 200 years with small steps and giant leaps. From a woman on a bus to a man with a dream, from the bravery of the greatest generation to the innovators and entrepreneurs of today, this is our story. This is our America. This is the America we know because we built it. They made history. You are the first black Republican woman to be elected to the House of Representatives. We were the first to do it. I saw Mia Love. She called me all the time to help her with a hostage situation. Being held hostage in Venezuela. Uh, but Mia Love gave me no love. And she lost. Too bad. Sorry about that, Mia. This gave me a clear vision of his world as it is. No real relationships, just convenient transactions. That is an insufficient way to implement sincere service and policy. Good news is, I'm not going away. But now, I am unleashed, I am untethered, and I am unshackled. And I can say exactly what's on my mind. Mia Love, welcome to Australia and thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'll get Donald Trump out of the way because I'm sure you're sick to death of talking about <laughs> him. Um, what rattled him so much about your re-election campaign last year that he felt the need to come out and criticise you so publicly, do you think? I'm not really sure. Um, and, you know, I really don't even know how that happened. We worked together really well with bringing Joshua Holt home. Um, we, uh, The State Department was excellent in working with me. It took about... Um, 
um, a year and a half. The previous administration really wasn't responsive at all. Just for those not familiar with that, sorry, with that case, who who was Joshua? Joshua was um, is an American that went to Venezuela to marry his sweetheart, a young man, and ended up being put in prison on trumped up charges. Um, He it it was just a horrible situation, pretty much being held by. the uh, Venezuelan regime there, and uh, and it took a while for us to to be able to get him out. At first, he was they were trying to get him out for ransom, and uh, anyway, it was it was a horrible situation, um, and we were able to uh, get him out, and and that was a big it was a big deal at that point. Uh, Donald Trump had t- gotten about nineteen prisoners out from uh, foreign countries. And uh, this was this was something that I felt like um, I was I was happy that he was he was working and doing his job and I was doing my job. So when I got that uh, criticism, I'm not really sure where that came from. Um, I think that it, it really what he was trying to do was uh, setting a message that those who didn't really stick with him 100 percent obviously didn't get through, which is really not the case. There were so many people that were with him 100 percent. Um and uh, in in Utah, the electorate is a, is a little different. And I think he likes to think that the world revolves around him. So <laughs> everything happens. People either get elected or they don't get elected by him. So he was angry that that you hadn't invited him to to your district. Is that is that what what initially sort of spurred off that anger? I think so. I think he wanted to come right. to the district, and I just felt like I needed to do this. On my own, I didn't want the president to be a crutch, and I didn't want to owe anyone anything Fair either. Um, and and uh, do I regret it? No, I I don't regret it at all, because at the end of the day, I didn't want to owe anybody, and I wanted to do things on my own terms. And you know, it was just really a perfect storm. They had medical marijuana on the ballot, redistricting on the ballot. I was out there on my own. The NRCC really didn't see this as a race that they thought was going to come close. And so it was too late by the time they came in. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, we are where we are. You wrote an opinion piece a few months back that you believed uh, the comments Trump made about four Democratic Congresswomen of colour telling them to go back to where they came from were racist statements. You, the president also made some disparaging comments about uh, the birthplace of your parents, Haiti, calling it a shithole country. Do you believe the president is racist? I, I, it would be completely unfair for me to call anyone racist or not racist. I can only make that call with myself. Right. Um, and it, it's. Uh, I think it's important for me to uh, do everything I can to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, I, I believe that those comments were racist. I don't know if he is. Um, I, I don't think anybody would be able to tell you. I don't know if he knows right. whether he is or not. Yep. But it's important to say that those comments are certainly um, racist comments. And whether you mean for them to be mean or what what the intentions are, I just didn't see any good that was coming out of out of those comments. He's, a, he's the president of the United States. And his job is to represent all American citizens, those who like him and those who don't. Yeah. I mean, um, that that is his job. If you are a U.S. citizen, if you're a, an American citizen, then uh, you are worthy of his of his efforts and support. 
Were you angered that uh, more of your Republican colleagues didn't come out to uh, say that they disagree with those comments or it was unprofessional of the president to have said those things? Well, it takes quite a bit to make me angry. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm a pretty optimistic uh, person and I've also believe very firmly that um, no one is going to cause me to behave a certain way, that I need to do everything I can to be an example. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, do I wish that more of my colleagues would call out um, things that are outside of the Republican platform? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Republicans have put themselves into two categories for the most part. Those who protect the president at all costs, and I think that that's to the detriment of the platform, the party platform, and those who leave the Republican Party because they don't want the president representing them. In the United States, um, unlike uh, the the prime minister, um, in the United States, they see the president as, um, you may call it the leader of the party, but he's not actually the leader of the party. Right. Uh, the party is set by a, uh, um, a set of platforms and principles. And what I believe is that I'm trying to get people to understand that there's a third option out there, and that is to protect the platform, call people out so you remind people w- what that platform is. And that's the only way you're going to re- preserve the Republican Party and what it stands for is by saying, hey, this is what we believe in, and um, I'm sorry, this is not what we believe in. You are outside of the purview of what our platform is. I think the two-party system is incredibly important. Um, I do not believe uh, that we would be doing the country any good by getting rid of the Republican Party. So I think it's worthy of all of our efforts to preserve that Republican platform, which is, which is the party I belong to. You were down in Melbourne last week where I heard you speak very fondly about your time in the Congressional Black Caucus. How did, uh, you know, that very Democrat-dominated group take to this Republican in their mix? Well, um, first of all, they were, I, I think both of us, both uh, the Congressional Black Caucus body and um, myself went into it cautiously. And I think that um, going in with an open heart and um, a need and a want to make the relationship work and mean something um, was was key. And I think that the acceptance that I got from some key members of the Congressional Black Caucus was key. Marsha Fudge is um, representative. Marsha Fudge from um, Ohio is one of my. Uh, she's like my sister. She's a big sister to me, and she really paved the way for for. Uh, to say, give her a chance. Hey, wait a minute. Um, let's 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 uh, hear her out. And um, from that, and from people being able to get to know me, and vice versa, I formed some great relationships there. I can name so many people that um, that are there that I'm absolutely fond of. I get myself in trouble because when I start naming <laughs> some names, there are people that are left out. Yeah. Uh, Bonnie, um, uh, who is a representative there, Joyce, Beatty, Cedric, um, the the uh, Reverend um, Rev Emmanuel Cleaver was there. They're like really close to me. I had a great relationship with Elijah Cummings, who just uh, recently passed away. Um, they're, they're people that I keep close to my heart and 
if anybody is listening to this and I didn't <laughs> mention your name, I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> and how about on policy? How did you find it, you know, if there was a contentious piece of legislation uh, that was up for debate? I mean, uh, how was that working with the members of that caucus to kind of, m- sort of manage these sort of pivotal issues that both sides of uh, politics well, want to work on? Well, it's, again, a really interesting um, dynamic. Um, th- when they needed my vote, they asked me for it. And, but they also understood when I couldn't give it to them too. Um, there, there, I can talk about tax reform, for instance. Um, they came to me and they said, Mia, we're not going to be able to support uh, this tax reform bill, but right. can you do, do what you can to get child tax credit in the bill and do what you can to do um, to get um, an elderly um, tax credit. There are a lot of um, black communities that take care of their elderly parents and they, it's an added financial burden. And so being able to get the tax credit for them who are taking care of an elderly parent um, was important. I believe that we get more of what we incentivize. And so it's really good to see families taking care of each other and they should have the funds to be able to take care of their family members. So to me, that was something that, Um, was easily within my principles and platform that I felt was worthy of fighting for. And we were able to get it in the tax reform bill. Um, Had we not had those relationships, I don't think that the tax reform bill would have would have been as good as it was. You mentioned Elijah Cummings, who sadly passed away uh, last week at the age of uh, 68. Um, uh, as you said, he was a member of the Congressional Black Caucus and another congressman who, who uh, was a subject of negative attention from the president. What kind of man was he? Did you? How did you find him as a man? Okay. So, you know, he was incredibly strong. He is ferocious when it comes to his beliefs, <laughs> but he showed me um, examples of integrity uh, I knew him to be a person. I'm, I um, am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We were able to do some genealogy for him, went back six generations. And he was incredibly grateful for that because it meant something to him to find out about his family. And, um, and uh, it was such a great thing. Um, and I also saw him stand up to his own uh a person on the same side of the aisle when Tlaib, Representative Tlaib, went after Representative Mark Meadows, who's a Republican, and said that he was racist. Uh, Mar- uh, Elijah Cummings just kind of gaveled down and said, wait a minute, I'm going to stop the proceedings right now. You're not calling him racist, are you? Because he's a good friend of mine. And it it really just shocked everyone. It didn't shock me, but it shocked everyone because here's this freshman that said, that has her chairman saying, back it down. He's a friend of mine. And it set a completely different tone. And to me, when you've got someone that's willing to stand up at his own detriment to say, that is a friend of mine, please do not call him racist because he's not. It, It said volumes to me about who he is and what he stood for. And at least you can trust his integrity. Given all your experiences with the president, uh, his comments about minorities, about uh, your time with the Republican Party in Congress, would you still recommend women and particularly women of colour join and run for the Republican Party? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, I think that unless you, if there aren't enough people standing up for what they believe in, if there aren't enough people making their voices heard, someone inferior to you is going to do it for you. I tell my children all that 
that all the time. If you are not standing up and talking about your beliefs, then someone is going to fill the void. And I think that that's the problem is that too many people are allowing one person to fill the void and people are flawed. They will let you down. But when you collectively have a checks and balances, people that are holding um, your feet to the fire, uh, people that are saying, hey, um, this is not what we believe in. You need to back down on that. You're going to end up um, really hurting the integrity of your of your beliefs and your platform. So I absolutely would encourage anyone to stand up to run black women, especially to run for uh, Congress or any um, office, I think it's important to have people of color on both sides of the aisle. Sure. Um, I, I wonder what you thought of uh, former Republican National Committee Chairman Michael Steele. He was a bit of a trailblazer like you. He was the first RNC chair, first black RNC chair, and first to be elected to a, a statewide office in Maryland. He's all but turned his back on the party at this stage. Do you think he was mistreated by the party during his tenure? I don't know. Um, you know, all I know is what he has said. Um, I have met Michael Steele when I first ran um, against uh, my predecessor and lost. He um, was a great um, support. Um, I think that, again, it, it's important to stand firm in, in, in your beliefs. I think leaving the party is a bad idea. Uh, people like Justin Amash, who uh, left the party and is now an independent. I think that's a bad idea because he's on an island caucusing with himself. Yeah. And really, um, it, it just, it, I, 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 the best analogy I could use is this. The smaller the gap, the um, less difficult it is to build that bridge. It's even more difficult when you are on an island on your own, yeah. right? And so what I'm seeing with, with politics now is that the left has moved further to the left. The right has moved further to the right. And it'll be an incredibly expensive, timely, difficult bridge to build. And the closer, obviously, the two are, the more support, the more integrity, the better the foundation. So um, I think it's important that we all remember that we're living in this um, situation that we've created for ourselves, the left and the right. The right not sticking up for their principles and at least at least helping the president and keeping him balanced mm -hmm. and the left um, with this all or nothing um, with representatives like uh, Alexandria Astacio-Cortez or Representative Tlaib or um, Representative Omar. That is, I mean, you're, you're talking about the very, very fringes of, of that and there's nobody left in the middle. You obviously believe change is possible in the Republican Party. Do you believe it's possible under this president or do you think Republicans are going to have to wait until this president goes with us next year or four years after that before they can really kind of establish some sort of changes, so certainly in, in regards to race, for example? Well, I, I really don't know. Um, that, that's a difficult question because there's we are, our problems are so big and vast and they're not being taken care of. Um, we have to do something for people to believe in Congress's integrity, to believe in our institutions, to believe in government. Right now, there's none of that. There's no trust in government institutions. There's no trust in Congress. Um, there is a battle, which is a political battle, um, a civil war, it, 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 um, that I would call it, uh, where people are completely being left behind. Legislation 
meaningful legislation is not happening. It's impossible for it to happen in this environment. Congress has delegated all of their power to the White House and to the institutions, so it's hard for them to get it back. And so I do not believe that any um, anything beneficial, really meaningful, is going to happen until there is a coming together of the minds and um, to stop this uh, political battle that we see going on that is seeped into um, American lives. It's not just on Washington any longer. Now this, the fingers have reached out to people where one side is giving um, Americans permission to be evil to the other side. There's no civility any longer. There is anger, there's frustration, and um, there's not even common decency and respect. I think you. I think it was your concession speech where you said that uh, you believe Trump and, and Republicans' interactions or relationships with uh, the black community was transactional. Uh, what did you mean by that? Okay, so um, what I was talking about was the president yeah. and the fact that he requires 100% um, loyalty, um, but you know he people are expendable. Members of Congress are expendable um, to him, and. Uh, in terms of my Republican colleagues, I don't feel, I, I think we can do a better job reaching out to communities. Too many times we legislate from Washington, but you really don't go into those communities. Instead of calling some of those communities rat infested, yes. um, horrible, why don't you go in there and talk to them and actually get a sense of what it's like to to live in those places Unless you actually go to where people need you, you care, you're not going to make any effective change. And unless you actually go and speak to people, they don't think that you care about them. And so um, I think it, we need to make sure that when you're making decisions, it's important for them to feel like you at least care about them. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's what I meant. Republicans need to do a better job going into communities and letting them know that I'm not doing this for my buddies on Wall Street. I'm not doing this for your, um, you know, for uh, the uh, corporate America. I'm doing this for the mom and pop shops or those who want to one day have their own mom or pop shop. I believe that the Republican Party is the party of the American dream. And there isn't, there isn't an American that needs the American dream more than people that are in poverty that are looking for um that are looking for their piece of that of that dream. Let's talk 2020 and impeachment. I, I heard you say in some of your media interviews last week that you don't believe that Democrats uh, have a case for impeachment at this stage. Why do you think that? Uh, well, mainly because uh, since the president got elected and um, my being in Congress the last two years, I was in Congress from day one. Um, they were talking about impeaching 45 and it just cre set the stage for, um, they did not feel like he was their legitimate president. They were going to do everything they can to get him out. So since then I've seen the hearings, um, on, uh, Kavanaugh, which I, which I thought was absolutely horrible for Dr. Ford and Kavanaugh. Um, I've seen every, I mean, whether it's tax, whether it's, um, you you name it, Mueller, they're, they've always been looking for something. Now, the other thing also is I, I do um, think that the calls were probably, well, not probably, they were they were inappropriate, especially because it was aimed towards a political opponent. Yeah, this is a Ukraine um, call you're yes, talking about. Yes, this is, yep. this is UK, Ukraine call. And so uh, if it were just focused on that or if this was all of a sudden, oh my gosh, this is happening, I think we need to, um, it would have been different. But, um, and also I think 
think that the process uh, it has been um, is different. We've only had two impeachment um, processes in our history, and the fact that they're not even that they haven't taken a vote on the floor to me is shutting the American people out. Isn't and politics in Washington. So I think the best way to do it is an open, transparent way. If she really, if if Speaker Pelosi really wants the American people to understand what she is doing, the best thing you can do is give the American people the ability to have their voices heard on the floor. Because if they're not taking a vote, then the American voice is completely shut out of it. Um, also, the difference between this inquiry and something like, for instance, a Benghazi hearing. Both parties were involved in the hearings, were involved in the questioning, were involved in in trying to find out information. This one, Republicans are completely being left out. So you're not going to get a Republican that is going to vote for any impeachment proceedings if they have if they're completely shut out of the process. So I think that this is really unconventional the way it's being done. I don't agree with it. Um, I think also that this is they've been looking for something for a very long time. And at the end of the day, impeachment only hurts the United States. And actually, I think it hurts um, the world. Uh, it, we will all feel even in Australia, I believe we will all feel the uh, the effects of of an impeachment inquiry, especially in this in this environment. Is that because you feel like it's taking away a democratic right of the people to elect their president? It's Congress taking away the, the people's yes, choice? Yes, especially when a vote is not being held on the floor. Right. They're not... Understand that the House of Representatives is a branch of government that's closest to people. Um, in the 4th District, the district that I represented, I represented 6, 671,000 people. If I cannot vote on the floor, then those people do not have a voice. Right. So the fact that this is happening and people have not had a right, had the ability to tell their congressman to vote yes or no, that is shutting them out. Um, also, you have to have, I mean, it, it, you have to be very careful. It's usually impeachment, it's usually the last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe that we've gotten there yet. I mm-hmm. think that there's a lot more information gathering that would, that would even, um, that should even come close to, to something like that. But they've had it out for the president um, for a long time. And this is from somebody who is not necessarily a, a, an apologist for this president yep. saying this. So I, I, again, this is my integrity. I believe that, um, it, if there's really something, um, that they want to open up, they need to be a little bit more transparent about it and really, um, impeach because of something that was done illegally, not because you don't like the president. What do you make of the Democratic field of candidates for 2020 so far? Do you think any of them have what it takes to beat President Trump? Well, uh, there are no Obamas there. (laughs) (laughs) No, there are no Obamas. And I think that that's a big problem. I mean, he set the bar pretty high in terms of communication and his ability to reach out. Um, And uh, you have to understand this is my perspective. Mm -hmm. You may not like what I'm going to say, but Mm -hmm. this is the reality of – of United States politics, there someone um, the president is still doing well economically. Yeah. Unemployment is low. Um, you may not like his personality. He actually said this, and I think this was one of the most brilliant things he said. He's like, "You may not like me. I don't need you to like me, but you're going to have to vote for me, or else you will lose your jobs. You will lose all of the things that I've built up." And I think that that's a seed that's been planted that is going to grow um, or continue to grow. 
with the American people. Um, but there isn't anyone that's really talking about the real economic issues and how they're going to fix it. Either they're talking about their vision of um, free uh, health care for all, free Medicare for all, or talking about um, free education for all. They're not talking about how that's actually going to happen. Who's going to get taxed? How is that going to be implemented? What is the cost at the end of the day for the American people? Um, there's a lot of talk about who can beat Donald Trump, and that seems to be what is taking up the space. Right. Um, and and so I think that that's going to be that's also an issue. I think that uh, you've got an Elizabeth Warren who seems to be pretty popular on the left. I'm afraid. And again, this is my prediction when I'm looking at someone like me who is looking for a place to go. There is not one uh, Democrat candidate that I feel comfortable with. Um, I've worked with Tulsi Gabbard, actually, and I think that she um, if she ran as a as um, a third party of some sort. I think that that would be, I think that she would be actually pretty formidable, but really? she can't get past the Hillary primary. Clinton came out, this, uh, came out this week and said uh, she thought that uh, she was probably like, well, suggesting that she might have been a Russian plant if she was going to run as a, as, a, as a third party first candidate. Of all, yeah. First of all, that was inappropriate for <laughs> okay. Hillary Clinton to right. say yeah. um, because she's had her own ties with Russia in the past. Um, Hillary has. Uh, yeah. Right. In, okay. Yeah. Um, in, in the Clinton Foundation. Um, I think that... Tulsi Gabbard, who um, has served the United States um, in military, has served. She actually built some great bridges um, as a member of the in the House of um, Representatives. And I think um, across the aisle, you mean with across Republicans? the aisle. Right. But I yeah. think what Hillary Clinton said is very indicative of what I've just said, mm -hmm. is that um, I there they're just horrified of a third party candidate because they know that a third party candidate would destroy um, the the uh, presidential race for Democrats. Yeah. Um, think about Howard Schultz, who's the CEO of Starbucks. They got rid of him yeah. as quickly <laughs> as they could get quickly. rid of anybody because yeah. people are like, oh, listen, here's somebody who, you know, has built a business who is sitting there saying, hey, private – a lot of Americans still want their private health care. They want their private insurance. Um, they don't want to go to a single player option. And so he started bringing some of those things up. And of course, it got my attention because I'm like, OK, here's someone who's actually telling us the truth about how how things are going to work. But I mean, they're, they're just trying to shut shut him down. Uh, in terms of uh, third party candidates or perhaps some um, alternative candidates, candidates within the Republican Party, can you uh, foresee any of your uh, former Republican colleagues running against the president next year? I'm thinking particularly of uh, perhaps your state senator, Mitt Romney. Oh, gosh. I mean, um, I don't know. I don't know if Mitt Romney would have the appetite for, for doing it. I always believe, um, and I'll get a lot of people that may be upset with me, but I believe that the more options we have on the Republican side, the better okay. it is for us. Yeah. So if he got into the race, I mean, at least there would be, I mean, we can start talking about plans and ideals again, yes. right? We can start talking <laughs> about uh, uh, the economy and moving on to, to the you know, infrastructure and immigration reform. Gosh, I mean, I really would like to get immigration reform done in the United States. Right. Why is that issue particularly important to you? Well, because of what's happening at the border. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, because there are people that are literally waiting in the wings that want to that want to be a United States citizen, but there's really no option. There's no door open for them. So um, 
I think that the best way to stop illegal immigration is to open up the front door and really set legal immigration reform um, and close the back door. I think that that would also um, help us with the crisis at the border. Um, instead of trying to do, you know, just be incredibly radical about what we're going to do at the border. I think um, national security is important. So I, I, I believe in making sure that we have strong borders. A lot of countries have strong borders, but you have to kind of, here's the best analogy I can use. There is, it's like a boat and the boat is filling up with water and people are saying, what are we going to do with this boat that has so much water? One of the first things you need to do is instead of trying to get a bucket and bailing out the water, you fix the hole in the boat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a parent. I'm pretty practical. Yeah. <laughs> so you fix the hole in the boat. Right. Uh, so, and that's the only thing that'll give you options. Um, then you then you kind of can can take some time to figure out what you're going to do and how your immigration process works. Just finally, no third third party candidate, uh, none of the Democratic uh, field are impressing at the moment. So looking at those particular elements, Trump reelected in 2020. Do you think if an election were held today? Yeah, I think he would win. Okay. Mia Love, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks also this week to the Babamara Brass Band, Ketzer and Lloyd Rogers for their musical contributions and to the University of Sydney's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance. 